Welcome to the Beyond Mom Podcast, the podcast for moms seeking connection to self while navigating the journey of motherhood. Get inspired with our practical tools, soulful conversations, and honest stories told by other women like you. From entrepreneurship to healthy living to style, Beyond Mom will spark you to live the thriving life you deserve. And now, join our host, Brandy Zinn, as she takes you Beyond Mom. Hi, everybody. Welcome to On Air with Beyond Mom. I'm so happy that you're taking your precious, precious time to tune in and listen to conversations for women who are moms, but are doing so many other things like writing books or creating websites or telling stories or starting the business of their dreams. Um, That's all of you, Beyond Moms. Thank you for being here. This is Randy Zinn. I'm the founder of Beyond Mom. And I have a super special guest with me today. Her name is Wednesday Martin. You might know of her. Um, She is an anthropologist. She's an author. She is a New York City mom. She happened to have written one of my absolute favorite books of the summer called The Primates of Park Avenue. And I have to say that I'm a big fan of Instagram when it comes to making the connection with her because I literally took a picture of the book and she commented and said, thank you for sharing. And I was like, I have to know you. And here we are today. So I'm so glad. I'm so glad you did that. I'm so happy that you noticed. Um, Thank you for being here Wednesday. It's awesome to have the chance to talk to you. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. So we have so many things that we're going to kind of talk about today. But as I said, you, um, all of you listeners out there, you do have to read this book, The Primates of Park Avenue. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, It captivated me not only as a New York City mom, but mostly because of your approach. Um, You are an anthropologist and you reveal that so much of the behavior that we view as kind of the way we are is actually really worthy of understanding from um, an anthropological view that really we're animals, we're interacting with community and our youth really as animals. Um, can you can you tell listeners about your journey and making those connections? Sure. Um, well, like a lot of your listeners, I became a mom almost haplessly. You know, I feel like we don't live in big extended families anymore. Those of us who live in big cities might feel a little bit cut off from other people. So that really, you know, not just the birth experience, but the whole experience of becoming a mom can feel a little bit isolating, intimidating. Um, So I'm a real research nerd. Whenever um, there's a change or something going on in my life, my response is always to research it. So when we moved from downtown to uptown, when my older son uh, was still a, a toddler. Um, I had a very later, I discovered, typical experience of feeling like I didn't fit in, feeling like I had landed in a foreign culture. And, and I said to myself, what does this remind me of, these these feelings that I'm having? You know, that I, I had thought I was into my mom game. I thought I knew how to be a mom. And then we moved to a new neighborhood. And I said, what is this feeling of feeling, you know, left out, alienated, lost? And I realized, oh, I have culture shock. 
um, because believe it or not, just those few miles between downtown and uptown are very significant in terms of the differences in the neighborhoods, in the parenting practices, in the uniforms that people wear, in their migration patterns. So I just decided that anthropology was going to be a great way. If I had culture shock, anthropology was probably going to be a great way to unlock the secrets of this new world, which was very different from my downtown world, and help me understand and connect with other moms. So that's how it started. That and getting charged on the sidewalk. <laughs> so, I mean, in your opinion, and we're going to we're going to dig deeper, but because because you kind of brought it up, I mean, are uptown and downtown moms really that different? Or are we more the same? Well, I think that, you know, there's an argument to be made that maternal behavior has been one of the most important and formative influences in human evolution. That the, the choices and strategies that mothers have made have really made us into the species that we are. So in that way, you know, all mothers have a lot in common. All maternal behavior, um, you know, has profound similarities. Um, we're all, you know, making decisions that balance our well-being with the well-being of our offspring as we have throughout our evolutionary prehistory. But that is not to say that all moms are the same. And one of the most fascinating things, if you uh, are interested in social science like I am, is the tremendous variation in how people practice mothering, in what gets to count as a good mother, in what a mother is supposed to do. And I found that the difference between downtown and uptown mothers was really so significant. There was so much variation that you could write a book about it. So. I tried to, but literally, you know, everything from the ethos, I mean, I think a lot of people would agree that downtown might overall, if we're going to generalize, have a slightly more progressive ethos about uh, child rearing. Downtown, there might be more value placed on a certain kind of education than uptown. The mommies wear a specific downtown uniform, which varies from neighborhood to neighborhood. Um, they go to certain exercise classes in Tribeca that they don't on the Upper East Side. And, you know, um, my burden in life is that that kind of thing just really fascinates me. And, you know, I think all, I think in our culture, we kind of, there's a way in which we laud mothers and denigrate them at the same time. And I wanted to just really study them and say, like, you know, motherhood and and mothers are really worthy of studying what does the social science say and what happens when you get in there with a new group of moms and do participant observation i think it's so fascinating where do you think beyond moms fit into this whole thing this this new and interesting pattern that i'm fascinated by and that's why i wanted to create a community around it for you know women that are trying in many ways to innovate their role and to you know not only be active moms but to say, well, there's all of these parts of me that I don't want to let go of and I still want to cultivate and I want to make my own schedule and I want to still be a productive, creative individual. Uh, where does Beyond Mom fit into, into your study? <laughs> I, think that, I think that the types of moms that you're describing are in many ways the most interesting um, moms to me in the world. And 
you see the situation worldwide, but basically, you know, the long view of anthropology, which is the very, very long view, um, is that we have been living in sort of evolutionary, in evolutionary terms, our situation has been very unique in the last several decades, in that there have been women who don't work in mother at the same time. In our evolutionary prehistory, and even in our recent history, um, women who were mothers tended to work, whether they were gathering or foraging um, with a child on their hip or in a sling, um, whether they were women who found family members, you know, to hold the baby while they worked on the farm. Um, you know, women have always been finding ways to balance work and motherhood, however we define work. So now the women that you're talking about, here we come into this new sort of novel historic period where women are sometimes uniquely economically and emotionally dependent on their husbands or on their community as they're trying to raise very young children because there might not be support in the workplace uh, for women to work and have children at the same time. So the women that you're describing are doing this fascinating thing. They are in this culturally and historically unique way trying to balance, if you will, personhood and motherhood. We never had to do that before. You know, a mother wasn't a, a cultural role so much before as it was now. You became a mother, you raised kids, and you ran the farm or gathered or hunted with nets or whatever it was that you did. Now we've sort of separated motherhood and personhood and work. And the women you're describing are finding unique, important ways to knit them all back together again. So interesting. That's the long answer. That's the long answer. I love I love placing I love placing the this beyond mom phenomenon in a greater context. It's a it's a really interesting thing yeah. to do. I think one of the most interesting things that the women that you're talking about are doing is working through, and Anne-Marie Slaughter uh, writes about this, and Sheryl Sandberg has written about it, and there's a national discussion now. Um, Mark Zuckerberg was one of the people who recently contributed to the discussion about how to balance parenthood and, and personhood. And so these women that you're talking about really... Every time you are a new mom and you're starting your own business or a website or whatever it is you're doing, you're shaping social policy. You're coming up uh, with, with new ways um, to be a mother in the 21st century. And it's fascinating um, to watch it happening. And I think you're kind of in the middle of it. I hope so. I'm kind of placing myself there. <laughs> yes, you are. You've got a great uh, perspective. Thank you. You know, I love the idea of another, an anthropological term, um, a, probably a more well-known one, and one that you definitely dive into in your book is this idea of going native. Yeah. So I loved, I mean, I also just have to say to those of you that are listening, even though um, Wednesday is clearly an academic, the book is so readable and funny and approachable. You're reading kind of like, everybody's story. So it's really great how you kind of weave that through. Um, 
I find it interesting because I think for those of us living in New York City and, you know, wanting to stay true to our our morals and and our visions, and then we kind of find ourselves, like you say, going native. Suddenly, we want the designer clothes and we want that handbag and we want to work out at the fancy studios and we want to eat at the nicest restaurants and talk about it. So I think it's an interesting little battle for those of us that contemplate it. Um, so I'm just curious about, you know, some of your suggestions for yeah. those of us living here and yeah. and beyond, because I'm sure moms in other cities and places contemplate it too. Yes. I mean, first of all, you know, I think you really isolated the core issue for women with young children, for mothers, um, which is, you know, we're a pro-social species. We're affiliative. That just basically means that like all primates, we really like to be around our species. We get a lot out of it. We've even developed, um, you know, feedback mechanisms and loops um, that make us healthier and happier when we're around other people. That's how important it is for us to be around our species. And we're also, you know, as human beings, our species is a particular and interesting thing. We're tribal. We love to find our group. Um, you know, we live neo-locally now. That means we usually marry and, and move away somewhere new. And living neo-locally means that we're kind of untethered, many of us, uh, from our extended families, but we like that feeling, and we're always searching out those connections. And one of the ways that mothers in New York City and other places uh, satisfy that need and that longing for connection is they seek out a tribe of mothers they can relate to, right? So we're looking for the other moms who, you know, what is your stance on cry it out? What is your stance on, you know, or sleep training? What is your stance on, do you use a sling or a baby Bjorn? What is your, how do you feel about strollers? Now we're talking about, you know, um, you know, you see how specific it is to the industrialized West, but even, even in the industrialized West, there are just, and all across the country, there are, you know, dozens of tribal affiliations for different kinds of moms. And I think the important thing is to find the group of women or, you know, like-minded men and women that you're comfortable with. Find the people who make you feel uh, not so much they make you feel like a good parent, although that's important. Find the group of people who make you feel like you're capable of making good decisions and, and you're not being judged and, and you're being helped when you need it. And in anthropology, the term for the people who do that is alloparents. Um, Robert Trivers, the great sociobiologist, came up with this term because he was observing other species and human beings, and he was seeing, oh, there are all these really important uh, others who aren't parents, but they're helping raise this little, you know, little person, offspring, uh, whatever. And he came up with the term allo paternal care to describe those special people you can also call them fictive kin they're not actually your kin they're not related by blood but they're helping you out and i think in the best circumstances we we all we evolved because of allo parents right we evolved as cooperative breeders we evolved raising our kids in in groups and communities and and we seek that out even now so 
you know, you have to find a tribe of, we're talking about moms now, women you feel you can relate to, but you also have to feel like they're there for you. They've got your back. If somebody's got a fever, they're going to show up and help out or drop something off or, you know, have your kid over for a sleepover if your husband breaks his foot. Whatever it is, you need to seek those people who can not just support you, but you also trust them that they'll support you as a parent by supporting and caring about your child. There's no better feeling than that. And I think that's what moms are looking for. Absolutely. I mean, it really does take a village. And, and particularly, I liked, I like that idea of that neo-local, I think is the word you used, where we sort of come from somewhere and then transplant. So, so yeah. many of us are not near our family. Especially in a big town. Yeah, yeah. I mean, both both grandmas in our situation have to fly here to be near near us. And so yeah. what would I do without my friends and the other moms at the preschool that I can say, oh my God, last night was insane. Have you dealt with this before? Yeah. What would we do without it? And who will also hold your baby so that you can run to the bathroom and maybe just then enjoy holding your baby so much that they hold the baby for another 20 minutes so that you can have a coffee. Look, this is the great evolutionary script of cooperative breeding. And when you find a way for it to work for you in a big city when you or, or wherever you're living, you know, when you find the aloe parents around you, it's really a game changer because you feel less alone and isolated. And I would say that more than anything, that's one of the peculiarities of being a mother in Western industrialized culture is being isolated and alone, which leads to anxiety, which can exacerbate postpartum depression. Um, and I write about that in my book. I talk about how when my son, my first son was born, um, my closest friend who was pregnant at the same time I was and had her baby just a little before I did moved to the suburbs. And so I didn't really have a lot of new mom friends. And I would go to this um, yoga group, like Mommy and Me Yoga. And we, you know, I just had this almost bird's eye perspective of what we were doing. We would leave our separate individual apartments or houses or whatever and they would walk to the yoga studio with their babies and then we would do yoga together and then strangely after all the downward dogging and stretching then we would like in our fragmented way go back to our own domiciles with our own babies and shut our doors it was great to have that moment of community in the yoga class but it was hard to fight the isolation. And, you know, I think finding your own tribe is so important because there's nothing um, sadder and more anxious than an isolated mom and nothing happier than a mom who feels like I've got this and the Allo parents have my back. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't have said that better. And I do relate. I mean, it, we could probably spend like a whole other hour kind of analyzing what happens in moments like that, why we come together, but we don't always crack that shield that makes the connection go deeper. 
I mean, the only thing that I would say is that sometimes, sometimes the motherhood commonality is enough for that, and sometimes it's not. Oh. And 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 I think that that's why um, what I've really realized is that finding the motherhood connection, and then that other layer of connection, which is what are my passions as an individual. really bring it together because then we show up for a multitude of reasons and then we actually step out of the house not only with our kids but maybe without them (laughs) which sometimes the connections sometimes the connections happen even more deeply when we're not so distracted and then the kids can come later (laughs) yes you know what a great point that this is the other thing that you know in the industrialized west It's one of the places where women are really expected to subsume their entire identities into motherhood. Um, We have this category, parent, and then we have all these books about parenting, and we have parenting experts and parenting advice. And it's really historically unique. You know, my parents just had kids and raised them. But now parenting has become like a national pastime and almost a national obsession, doing it perfectly, doing it right. And this brings extra pressures um, onto women, as does this identity of mother and this expectation of being a perfect mother. And I write a lot in Primates of Park Avenue about the um, ideology of intensive motherhood, which the sociologist Sharon Hayes coined that term because she noticed that middle class and well-to-do moms um, who had some time on their hands and were expected to read and read a lot of parenting experts were doing this kind of motherhood that was very engaged all the time, 24-7, basically always on top of your kid. You weren't just the mommy, you were the tutor and the nutritional expert and the occupational therapist and the, um, you know, museum taker. And you had to sit there on the floor and play Legos side by side with your kid. And Sharon Hayes stood back and said, this is not how we did motherhood even a couple generations ago. Um, So, you know, absolutely. I don't know how I got on this tangent. Sorry. No, um, I, I remember why we talked about we talked about that there's this other part of who we are as individuals that can yes. connect us to other women on top of just the motherhood part. Yes. The women that I'm writing about in my book, um, the women that you interact with and, and serve in your capacity um, as like a motherhood shaman, which is how I think of uh you know, people who do great things like you do. Um, You're helping women with this conundrum, which is that their entire identities have been subsumed into motherhood, and and a lot of them are struggling to find a way out. And for motherhood to feel less burdensome, less anxiety-producing, less of a competition or a contest, and, and more of a pleasure. And as you've said, I mean, one of the things that makes motherhood pleasurable is stepping away from it. Yeah, it's called perspective. <laughs> yeah, it's and, perspective. And yeah, and a 
<clears throat> and a refreshing break that everybody needs. I have to say for all of you listeners and Wednesday when you have a free moment, I actually did a podcast recording not too long ago with author Melinda Blau, who talks exactly about this. Uh, she she defines it as family-centered parenting versus child-centered parenting, which really sort of equals, equals out the playing field so that there is a collective of individuals in a family and not that, you know, that helicopter dominated situation where a mother or a parent has to be absolutely everything for their child. And she even takes it a step further and says, not so good for the kids at the end of the day, because we're raising kids that cannot do anything for themselves in the end. Yeah, most experts do that. They focus on, you know, I don't like the term helicopter parenting, because I find it denigrating and sort of sexist. It's like, we expect women to do this stuff. And if they don't, they're bad parents. But if they do, they're helicopter parents and they're ruining their kids. That's not what Belinda Blau says. Her argument is very subtle and understanding. But in general, in the culture, you know, we want to do that. We want to pressure women to be helicopter parents and put them down for it at the same time. True. So, very true. So that's why I like the term intensive motherhood instead. But what I was going to say is most experts want to focus on, yeah, so what is that in intensive parenting due to the kids. And as you've said, you know, there is some accumulating evidence, um, anecdotal and clinical, um, that it makes children, it can make them more anxious or that it could make them entitled or less resilient. But I was more interested in Primates of Park Avenue and in general in looking at the effects of intensive motherhood on mothers. And fathers, too, and marriages. Yes, I'm with you, too, actually. That's really where my interest goes, too. Um, so I'm curious because at the end of the day, you yourself, you're also clearly a mother. And how has your own role as mom affect your own deeper understanding of everything that you're so interested in studying and sharing? Well, I I grew up with a mom who was very interested in anthropology and social science and biology. So, um, you know, I sort of, from a very young age, you know, Margaret Mead and Jane Goodall were sort of my heroes when I was growing up. And I had a sense very early on, you know, um, because my mother had raised me to be interested in all these things, uh, very early on, I got the sense that anthropology could be really relevant and fun way to view not just people who lived far away, um, but the world close to home. And that meant that it was a very easy leap to use anthropology uh, when I had experiences that I was trying to understand. For example, you know, when I got married 15 years ago, um, my husband had two daughters from his previous marriage. Um, my stepdaughters are young adults now. And I wanted to understand, you know, the experience that I was having as a stepmother. And anthropology and social science really helped me understand, um, you know, step-parental behavior and, and stepchild behavior and the, um, you know, why it was difficult sometimes, why it felt intuitive sometimes and felt very counterintuitive at other times, uh, why there were conflicts, um, you know. So I turned always to social science and anthropology to help me understand my own life just because I grew up being interested in it. So quite logically, I think, when 
when I found myself pregnant, you know, I really wanted to, to see some cross-cultural perspectives on pregnancy. I wanted to understand why in the West we view pregnancy the way that we do, whereas among some groups of people, you know, pregnant women are considered the very best net hunters. You know, they're like, might be catching small mammals and nets while they're pregnant, whereas, you know, to us that sounds dangerous and terrible. And then, you know, I wanted to then understand our child-rearing practices and our child-rearing beliefs. You know, why do we go to these shamans we call pediatricians? Um, you know, what what is their belief? I'm not saying that it's not great to go to a pediatrician. It is, and I vaccinate my children, and I, I you know, do all those things. But when you see your own parenting practices in a, cult, a cross-cultural perspective, it just um, adds a layer. And, uh, you know, to me, it's inherently interesting. So there, there was just no way that I was not going to use social science and anthropology to understand motherhood, especially when I landed on the Upper East Side and I said, this, what I'm seeing all around me is tribal behaviors. Um, it sounds funny to say it about a major, you know, super modern cosmopolitan metropolis, but the the paradigm of tribalism and, and of these women being a tribe is still relevant. So that's sort of how I have pulled the thread of anthropology and social science through, to, you know, to understand my own personal experience. I think that's great. What I, I really love about it is, um, you know, I, I always try, and maybe this is more of like a mindfulness practice, but I always try to encourage moms in particular, I have my own little term for these moments where sometimes we get kind of lost in in motherhood moments. I call it the emotional tsunami where it can feel like this wave like hits you. That's great. That's so descriptive. I guess I guess you've been in my mind. <laughs> I have I guess so. I mean I think we all go through it. And I think the only way to combat it is the sense of um you know, basic practices of how to first slow yourself down, but also be an observer of a reaction. And then to say, what context am I sitting in? And I think what I love about what you're talking about is it takes experiences that can feel so personal, but actually says, well, really, you're part of a of a cultural pattern. You're not so you're special, but you're not so, so special that it's, it's odd or different from your neighbor, um, or another person. Um, and I think that that's actually empowering because it means you're not alone and, um, and your experiences are, are more common than not. Yeah. I really want to, um, thank you for, uh, observing that. Um, and I, what I really wanted to do was use, terms from anthropology, you know, to explain my own personal experience and that of that I saw other mothers around me having. So, for example, you know, the idea of tribalism came up, that, you know, you could carve a tribal identity out of being a certain kind of mother. Or, for example, another term from anthropology, intrasexual competition, you know, which some people might call mean girl mom behaviors. Um, you know, but anthropology gives us a, a different term for it, again, intersexual competition, and explains to us that it has to do with 
sex ratios. You know, you'll see more of it uh, when women outnumber men, for example. Um, anthropology helps us understand that uh, it depends on the culture you're in. If you're on a, in a body display culture, um, you know, there will be more intersexual competition about how you look. So, you know, terms like tribalism, um, intersexual competition, intensive motherhood, um, these were all kind of terms that I wanted to try to introduce into the lexicon. And, and I wanted fun ones too, like glam Sam's, you know, glamorous stay at home moms um, and, and Manhattan geisha. But I did want to find ways to make the familiar strange to us, you know, which is what I did when I wrote about exercise classes, for example. Um, you know, I, I which, really related to that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's one of our craziest tribal practices to go to these altars and, you know, worship at the ballet bar of eternal youth and then drink a kale juice afterwards. And, you know, I, I think that part of being an anthropologist studying motherhood is just uh, noticing the strange in the everyday and trying to peel back the layers and find out why it's happening. And you're right, it, there, there, there is an analogy there to mindfulness, just not feeling too drawn in, not feeling too... Oh, oh, so many women have written to me and said, oh, I so understood feeling on the outside at your child's school. And just dozens and dozens of emails and messages about that. And I think that that's a way that anthropology and social science or mindfulness uh, can be so helpful to mothers to be in these situations and then kind of see them uh, through a different lens can really help us stay calmer and feel less anxious about motherhood. Absolutely. I hope. <laughs> So do I. <laughs> Wednesday, your your work is so fascinating to me, and I, I know to so many others. Um, before before we wrap it up, um, just wanted you to take a moment and tell listeners um, if there's something you're working on now that you want to share, and mostly where we can follow you and, and continue to engage with what you do. Oh, thank you so much. Well, um, I... On Instagram, you pointed out that I'm on Instagram, and that's how you and I connected. I'm Wednesday Martin PhD, and you can all also follow me on Twitter um, at Wednesday Martin. I have a website, WednesdayMartin.com, and if you follow me on Twitter, um, you can just see what I'm up to. There are links to uh, my work and what I'm writing on. And right now, I've, I'm transitioning, and I'm uh, doing research. Uh, and writing about female sexuality. So that's the next um, that's the next phase for a little while. Well, I'll be on the edge of my seat to read about that. That's for sure. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that mothers have a, a, a need to read about and remember female sexuality. <laughs> Absolutely. We it's live in a culture that tells you that you can't be both and I'm on a mission to insist that you can. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm on the mission. I'm on the mission boat with you. <laughs> but I'm glad to have you for company. And I wish you the, all good things with the baby and um, keep me posted. Thank you so much, Wednesday. Really appreciate it. And um, all of you listeners who decided to give your precious time 
here uh, on air with Beyond Mom appreciates you. And we hope that everything that we're giving you just continues to fuel your path and your inspiration to keep building the you inside the mom because she's there and she's alive and well. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great day.